the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. The answer. It is every bit of that. Good morning to you. Thank you for being with us as we get started at seven minutes after the hour of nine o'clock on this Wednesday, the 26th morning of the second month of the year of our Lord 2020. Wow, that was fun. Did you watch last night? Did you watch the train wreck? Uh, I'm going to give you the highlights here, courtesy of uh, the, the good people over at Fox and Friends. This is highlights of the Democratic debate last night in South Carolina. No, I'm not accidentally playing two different sound clips over one another. No, 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 no. This is them all last night. No, if you get Senator nominated, Murphy we'll be relitigating this all year. Do what Senator, I ask. Look, look, first of all, Bernie, first, let, first, me let me go. Think, We'd ask respectfully if you would all please try to keep to the time. Idea. So let's See, clear this up once and for all. Now, this, uh, you, you've got people believing something that is false. If you could honor the rules of the debate, thank you. Senator Sanders, you were allowed to respond, and then we would like to have a moderator, guys. Senator Sanders. Well, moderator. Is my turn. <laughs> uh, Toby, you didn't <laughs> you didn't just love that last night. And by the way, uh, let's be real here, okay? Let's try to bring out the real in this. How could we honestly expect them to follow the rules? They're Democrats. All right? They don't apply. The rules are merely suggestions, depending upon whether or not breaking them will give someone an advantage. It's that way in debates. It's that way in uh, government. It's that way in life. They're Democrats. They don't follow rules, just by, by as a matter of course. So, of course, they weren't going to pay attention to the weakest round 
or weakest group, if you will, or panel of debate moderators I think that I have ever seen. This was brutal last night. So I want to say thank you to the good folks at CBS, to Gail King and to Major Garrett and the rest of them on that uh, debate uh, uh, moderator panel. I want to thank you for having absolutely zero ability to control uh, the seven Democrats on the stage. Thank you for being weak-willed. Thank you for letting them run over you like trains. Uh, thank you for just being uh, pathetic. And by the way, this probably is going to cost CBS, or at least it should, any opportunity to host any of the presidential debates once the nominations are actually official and we have a general general election. Uh, but for now, I just want to give them uh, 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 all kinds of thanks and kudos for failing to control anything because it allowed the Democrats to devolve in their debate last night into what they are, a bunch of self-serving, uh, rule-breaking uh, politicians who, who, who literally have no earthly idea what it means to work for the better good, for the greater good. Here's what I love, because it's getting so personal. Bernie Sanders, of course, took a bunch of shots last night. He really did. And he should have, because he became clearly the front runner by winning the first three races, by winning decisively in Nevada. Uh, he was the front runner, and they were going to take shots at him, just like they targeted Bloomberg in the last debate in Nevada because uh, of his uh, buying his way into the top two in terms of um, uh, national polling. So you knew that Bernie Sanders was going to get smacked a lot in this thing. And he was. And what I loved about it, as I listened to all of it, as again, they're, they're going to make it virtually impossible if he wins the nomination to sell anybody in America that they support him. Do you follow what I mean? If Buttigieg wins, and by the way, I do not believe Pete Buttigieg to be a moderate. I disagree with my good friend Hugh Hewitt on this. Hugh Hewitt thinks the Democrats absolutely have to nominate Buttigieg. It's their best chance uh, because he's a moderate. No, no, no. He may look moderate next to a raving, psychopathic communist, but he's not moderate. He's very, very radical, to be honest with you. But my point is this. If, if Buttigieg were to win the nomination, I could see the rest of them saying, we rally behind and now give our full and total endorsement of Pete Buttigieg for president of the United States over Donald Trump. Maybe the same thing could be done with Klobuchar. But the rest of them, the personal animus that they have for one another, that, that Warren obviously has for Bloomberg, that Bloomberg has for Biden, that Biden has for Sanders, that Buttigieg has for Sanders, and so on and so forth. I, I cannot imagine with all of the personal insults being fired around here that they are going to be able to convince any you know, decent majority of Americans, particularly in the battleground states, to ra- rally behind their candidate, to motivate them to get to the polls for their candidate. Because Trump is going to, and, and I know this is the cycle all the time, it is always the cycle that in a primary, the, it's blood sport, right? A lot of virtual blood is spilled on stages, and then eventually they coalesce behind the eventual nominee. That's the way it always happens. I'm not suggesting this is new. It's not. It happened when there were 17 Democrat or Republicans, rather, who started out in the Republican primary uh, in 2015 into 2016, and eventually uh, it led to Donald Trump. And most of them, not John Kasich, 
But most of them rallied around and said, okay, we'll support Donald Trump, even though there was a lot of personal uh, stuff going on there. But the personal stuff going on there pales in comparison to the stuff going on here, particularly as it pertains to Sanders. If Bernie Sanders doesn't win South Carolina, he still steamrolls to Super Tuesday as the very clear front runner as long as he finishes in some you know within 10 points for example of joe biden i think joe biden is in a good position to win for the first time in his three runs for president to win an actual primary he's never won a single one and in south carolina carolina he had such a big lead it looks like even though bernie has closed that gap a lot it looks like he probably still could win this thing but if he doesn't win it by double digits or more joe biden is cooked If Bernie Sanders keeps it within single digits, Bernie Sanders cruises on to Super Tuesday as the uh, odds-on favorite. And I can't wait to see, after what we heard last night, after what we heard on the debate stage and in their campaign stump speeches, I can't wait to hear how people rally around Bernie Sanders and try to convince uh, a majority of Americans or a majority of people in particular important battleground states, that Bernie Sanders, the socialist, Bernie Sanders, the Marxist, Bernie Sanders, yes, let's just say the C word, Bernie Sanders, the communist, is right for the presidency of the United States. They are on that stage savaging him, as he should be savaged, for his constant praise of Fidel Castro and other communist regimes. He should be savaged. But what I want to know is how they're going to be able to pull all of that criticism back and say, well, he's still better than Orange Man Bad. He's still better than Donald Trump, even if he brings communism to the United States. And that is exactly what they're going to have to do. So uh, it was uh, it was a cluster, you know what? Yesterday, uh, last night in South uh, uh, Carolina, I would love to hear from you. What did you take away from it? Who won the debate last night? Don't say Donald Trump uh, if you can, and uh, well, I guess you can if you if you if you have to. But explain yourself and tell me why nobody came out on top. Some people felt like Joe Biden did a better job last night. Some people felt like he was a meandering, doddering fool, which I am one of those. Uh, some people said that Bernie Sanders had his worst performance because he was taking. So much heat from everybody else. Curious to see uh, what your thoughts are. I can just give you mine in a nutshell. Bernie get, taking the brunt of the criticism as the front runner clearly was the highlight. Um, I think uh, uh, Bernie Sanders being pressed not just on his praise of um, socialism and communists, but his promises, his his socialist math on Medicare for all, free college for all, free uh, 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 preschool for all, and child care for all, and, and forgiveness of debt, et cetera, et cetera. He kept you know, being pressed on socialist math because the numbers simply do not work. Talking about $60 trillion for crying out loud. I think that was huge. Um, I think uh, uh, the candidates criticizing President Trump over the coronavirus thing is just cheap political theater, but that was a big theme last night as well. By the way, I should throw this out, too. Oh, and I mentioned Joe Biden having somewhat of a good night, according to some people. When you consider the fact that Joe Biden told America last night that 150 million people have been killed by gun violence since 2007. <sighs> This guy is just not there. I played that for you yesterday, the I'm Joe Biden. I'm Joe Biden. 
Uh, I'm running for the United States Senate, and I'm asking for you to look me over, and if you don't like what you see, then vote for the other Biden, uh, but give me a shot. Uh, that was yesterday's gaffe, or excuse me, that was Monday's gaffe that we played yesterday. Now it's the 150 million people killed. You realize there's it's roughly half the United States population, right? We're around 325, 330, I don't know, some might say up to 340 million people, depending. But um, uh, he literally said 150 million people got, have been killed in gun violence. So that was one that jumped out at me. But the other one, just to go back to the uh, the communism thing, how about Mike Bloomberg? How about Bloomberg following up the praise that Sanders has for Castro as well as communist regimes in uh, uh, or socialist regimes in Venezuela, communist regimes in uh, um, Russia and in China? How about Mike Bloomberg saying, me too? Mike Bloomberg stumbled through a clumsy defense of uh, uh, the Chinese uh, uh, president as not being a dictator, as if China is not an authoritarian communist regime. Mike Bloomberg, how about that? I'll play that for you after our time out here, but I'm going to tell you this. Bernie is not the only communist on that stage. He's certainly not the only socialist on that stage. They are all socialists to a different degree or another because they all want the government to take over the vast majority of your lives from your health to your earnings to your homes. I mean, that's the bottom line here. They want large government control of your lives. They don't want you to have as much say on what you do with your money or how uh, this country is run. They want to do it for you. They want to be the big daddy, and they want to tell you, the little children, to just take your allowance that they give to you and go on about your way and do as they say. They are all the same. Bernie, it might be the loudest and the most vocal, but uh, Mike Bloomberg coming out in defense of uh, China, which, of course, as we know, is a human rights-violating machine, that continues to put down and kill people who who protest for freedom. For example, in Hong Kong, as we have watched over the last several months, this is an authoritarian communist regime that they, uh, or excuse me, that Bloomberg refused to condemn as such. So he's not the only one. Bernie Sanders is not the only one. All right, I want to get to you too. Two one six nine zero one zero nine four five. 216-901-0945 or 888-281-1110. Plenty of opportunity for reaction to what we heard last night in this first hour. We've got a guest coming at, up at 1010 to talk a little bit more about Bernie Sanders and how we got here. But for now, uh, the floor is, floor is yours and mine a little bit too on AM 1420, The Answer. Bob France, Authority. Hey, Bernie, I was talking about Biden. 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 I
on me before. We would like program Senator Sanders. If you get nominated, we'll be relitigating this all year. Do what I ask. Look, first of all, let me go. We'd ask respectfully if you would all please try to keep to the time. So this up once and for all. Got people believing something that is billionaires. New topics. New topics. I don't know where you got the impression. If you could honor the rules of the debate, thank you, Senator Sanders. You're allowed to look forward to it. That's pretty much sums it all up. 925, thanks for being with us on AM 1420. The answer reacting to some of the debate last night. Uh, I, I teased a couple of these. I want to hit it for you so that you can hear in case you did not listen to the train wreck or the circus uh, last night. Uh, let me give you what uh, some, of the, some of the stuff that you need to know. Mayor Bloomberg. You've said that President Xi Jinping of China is not a dictator and that he is responsive to his constituents and that the U.S. must cooperate with Beijing. How far does that go? Would you allow Chinese firms to build critical U.S. infrastructure? No, I would not. And I think that the, the Chinese government has not been uh, open. Their press, the freedom of press does not exist there. Uh, they, uh, their human rights record is abominable. And we should make a fuss, which we've been doing, I suppose. But we make no mistake about it. We have to deal with China if we're ever going to solve the climate crisis. We have to deal with them because our economies are inextricably linked. We would be not be able to sell or buy the products that we need. And in terms of whether he's a dictator, he does serve at the behest of the Politburo, uh, of their, their group of people. But uh, there's no question he has an enormous amount of power. Um, and um, he, but he does play his constituency. You can negotiate with him. That's exactly what we have to do. Make it seem that it's in his interest and it's in people's interest to do what we want to do. Follow the rules, particularly no stealing of intellectual property. Uh, follow the rules in terms of the trade the, uh, the agreements that we have are reciprocal and go equally in both directions. In other words, what uh, Mike Bloomberg just said was what Donald Trump came into office and did. Rework the trade agreements with China so that it is reciprocal, so that it does go equally in both directions. Something that the every Democrat prior to this said, you can't do that. You can't impose tariffs on China in order to try to make uh, uh, to create a trade balance. You can't do that. You're going to kill our own economy. President Trump did it, signed already phase one of the newly worked agreement, and this is something that every Democrat opposed. As to the dictator question, you just heard Bloomberg say that uh, uh, Xi Jinping is is uh, is um, uh, accountable to the Politburo? Are you kidding? That that uh, he does play to his constituency, that you can negotiate with him any time and every time. People in China who are not free try to protest for freedom. They are killed. They are killed or they are locked up. The heavy hand of the Chinese government, the military, takes them down. And it has been playing out on the national stage. How did Mike Bloomberg miss that? That's not negotiating with your constituency. That isn't playing to the constituency. This isn't serving at the behest of the, of the Politburo. This is a, an authoritarian communist, communist regime that apparently Mike Bloomberg um, appeals to Mike Bloomberg about as much as the Cuban communist regime, started by Castro with that revolution, appeals to Bernie Sanders, who continues. About your comments about uh, former Cuban leader Fidel Castro. You got a chance to discuss the substance of it in the debate. Let me ask about the raw politics. You know that there are at least two South Florida Democratic Congresswomen who have expressed grave concern with what you said and are concerned that even they 
other Democrats across the state of Florida could suffer if they have to share a ticket with someone who is Ed, sympathetic to at least some of the Castro legacy. Ed, what would you say Ed, to them? Two responses. Number one, truth is truth. If somebody in Saudi Arabia or any country in the world teaches illiterate people to read, you get to me that's a bad thing? It is not. Barack Obama. I just can't let that play any longer. He's going to say Obama once said the same thing. Made the point that Cuba had made good progress in health care and education. I I cannot allow that talking point of his, which he is using, to defend his full-on man crush that he had on Fidel Castro and that apparently he has now passed on to Raul Castro. I cannot allow that any longer. The idea that Fidel Castro brought some sort of great literacy and educational program to the prison island of Cuba, or the island prison, if you will, of Cuba, it's just not true, and it needs to be exposed. I had a guest on yesterday's show who talked about this, who said this is an absolute lie, that the people of Cuba were very literate, and the the island, uh, the country of Cuba prior to the Castro communist revolution, was actually thriving. And it was a tourist destination for celebrities in the United States and around the world. Something I did not realize prior to 1960. Did not realize that. But it was. And the idea that it was a bunch of uh, uh, illiterate, nobodies trying to work uh, infertile land, etc., etc., in Cuba until here comes Fidel Castro with the wonders of education is a flat-out lie. I will offer evidence of that being a lie coming up right after this on AM 1420 The End. Nine thirty-five, AM fourteen twenty. The answer. Reacting to last night's debate and more. Hey, before I get to the uh, the lie about uh, Fidel and uh, and bringing literacy, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, to the island of Cuba, which is what he uses as his excuse for praising Castro. He's praised communists literally for his entire life. The new Today Show ed- um, interview with Bernie Sanders from way back in the early eighties also uh, uh, emerged yesterday. And uh, uh, Phil Donahue was talking with uh, with then uh, mayoral uh, Victor Bernie Sanders, and uh, his his love of communism and his hatred of capitalism was on display then. We'll get to that part. So he's looking for some reason to explain that away to the general population in this election fight. So he says, "Well, it's just about how good he was, you know, how good Castro was at uh, helping people to read and write." Uh, no, it's not. It's about much more than that. But before I go there, did you notice? how the crowd was unusually vitriolic toward Sanders yesterday in that debate in South Carolina. And, and I mean, comparatively to, you know, the Nevada uh, debate and the New Hampshire debate and the other things that were happening before primaries and caucus, uh, it was very, very odd how much he was being booed in the, in the, in, uh, you know, by the audience in the, in the uh, venue yesterday. And conversely, the amount of cheers that Mike Bloomberg received. There's an article that w- that ran uh, late yesterday 
which I found very interesting, in The Intelligencer, which is part of New York Magazine, New York Mag, uh, NewYorkMag.com Intelligencer. Headline, who was booing candidates at the South Carolina debate? During a chaotic Democrat debate filled with candidates talking over each other on Tuesday night, which we played, some members of the audience repeatedly booed and heckled some of the candidates on stage, prompting confusion among debate watchers online. Most of the boos appeared to target Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, including when they were criticizing Mike Bloomberg. Sometimes it was difficult to tell who the small but loud group of audience members were targeting and supporting. In one instance, Sanders was booed after attacking Biden on trade. The reactions also distracted Sanders a few times. And at one time, uh, he responded to a heckler who had shouted something during one of his answers. It was about about Castro and about Cuba. And Bernie interrupted, really? Really? It's the first debate of the primaries where members of the audience have behaved like this. And their apparent preference for Mayor Bloomberg prompted some unsubstantiated theories online to the point that the Bloomberg campaign had to officially deny mid-debate online that it had paid anyone to support the candidate at the event. In the same manner that Bloomberg's campaign has paid people to support him online. Think about that for a moment. Mike Bloomberg, I mean, Twitter... uh, uh, shut down the accounts, I want to say, what was it, like 70 accounts? 70 different accounts that were doing nothing but parroting Bloomberg campaign talking points, like line by line, the exact same thing, as if they were 70 different individual people running accounts that just happened to have the same exact ideas, but all pro-Bloomberg stuff. And that's, you know, stacking the deck, if you will. So even Twitter, with their wild, radical liberalism, et cetera, even they shut that down. But it's, it's well known that Bloomberg was paying people to publicly support him. And when you're worth $60 billion, I guess you can do that, right? So the thought was, and the question remains, I guess, is he also paying people to go into these debate forums, these these um, uh, venues, and cheer for him, just like they cheer for him online, and boo his chief rivals, and in this case, the front-runner Bernie Sanders. Now, some also question this part of it, the Democrat Party allowed, you know, they're the ones who organized this debate. And they allowed tickets to be awarded first to people who sponsored the event with donations of at least $1,750. So anybody who was willing to spend $1,750 in donations to the Democrat Party got first chance at tickets to be there last night. And I'm sorry, I can't help but wonder how many people paid with $1,750 of their own money and how how many of them got part of Mike Bloomberg's $60 billion fortune? The same way he paid them to cheer online, how many of them got $1,750 tickets to this event to go in there and make sure you are loud for Bloomberg when he is done and make sure that you give the business to the chief rival of Mike Bloomberg, the the front runner in in this race, which is Bernie Sanders? Again, what did I say at the very beginning of my commentary this morning? What did I say about, you know, moderators, please, please respect the rules of the debate. What did I say? Democrats don't follow rules. They're Democrats. It's just what they do. They cheat. And Mike Bloomberg might be the biggest cheat of them all. Now I want to go back to what I was talking about as Bernie Sanders continues to praise Fidel Castro and using the, I'm just talking about helping people to read and write. How how is that a bad thing to teach people to read and write? It's not a bad thing. It's also not a true thing. 
the lies that Bernie Sanders have told has told. I mean, they're they're too numerous to mention. But about this particular thing, as he looks for some reason to justify a lifelong uh, uh, public praising of communists, and particularly of communists in Cuba. Uh, he's looking for something to justify, and so he, he's clinging to this education thing. It is simply a lie. David Harsanyi covers this in National Review this morning. Unlike many of modern progressives, Bernie Sanders is old school, still in the habit of praising old comrades. When Fidel Castro came into office, you know what he did? He had a massive literacy program. Is that a bad thing? He said on 60 Minutes. We covered this Monday and Tuesday, right? Um, yes. The answer is yes, writes Harsanyi. It is a bad thing. Massive literacy programs instituted using the machinery of tyranny are indeed a bad thing. For one, you can institute massive literacy programs without authoritarianism, just as you can build impressive highways without fascism or alleviate most poverty without collectivism. Just ask the United States or any other capitalist nation with wealth and high literacy rates. But even then, Sanders is regurgitating communist propaganda. Cuba already, this is where the truth comes in, and my friend Eduardo Hernando, who uh, appeared on the program yesterday, explained, because his family escaped the island uh, nation of Cuba, told us this. Cuba already had the highest literacy rate in Latin America before the Castro-led communist revolution. And it kept trending in the same direction as every other nation in the region. When Castro triumphantly entered Havana in 1958, he didn't bring truckloads of books. He ordered thousands of arrests and summary executions. When Castro came into office, he canceled elections, terminated the free press, and turned Cuba into the island prison that still exists today under his brother's leadership. Cubans haven't been able to freely read about their own oppression since Castro took power. Cuba, though, has nearly eradicated the scourge of inequality, with most people making around 20 bucks a month, so everybody's equal, equal in their misery. I'll pause there and say this is exactly what Bernie Sanders is talking about. He's continuing to condemn the wealthy and the successful, and to claim that he is looking out for the, the impoverished, that wealth gap, that disparity is what must disappear. Everybody should be equal. And the problem is everybody won't be equal on the highest end of the spectrum. They will be equal only if they are all cast down to the lower end of the spectrum. He's not talking about making poor people rich. He's talking about making rich people poor. So that everybody is equal in their misery. Back to Harsanya National Review. And the only reason, a possible reason any American would feel the need to defend that dictator's programs, Sanders once said Castro educated the children and gave them health care, is because they are sympathetic to the cause. What might be helpful in explaining the nuances of Sanders' views on the Soviet Union and the international left would be a degree of literacy about them from commentators. CNN's Andrew Kaczynski recently noted, Bernie, after all, was always critical of authoritarianism in the Soviet Union, Can you imagine this kind of goodwill being extended to someone who spent 50 years praising fascist regimes? It's truly unfathomable. The Soviet Union was authoritarianism. It had no other way to exist. When Sanders was honeymooning in Moscow, Refuseniks, fellow Jews he didn't think enough about to mention once, by the way, between the singing and drinking, were still begging to leave the place. 
But let's concede for the sake of argument that Bernie was genuinely impressed by some of the commissar's more liberal reform ideas. Sanders claimed that Americans could learn a lot from the Soviet Union. So which of those nuanced ideas did Bernie admire? Does he still admire them? It's a shame there's no one at CNN who has access to the candidate and can ask these questions. And that, of course, is tongue-in-cheek, because they always have access to Bernie Sanders, but they will not ask these questions. There's little doubt. Bernie believes in collectivism, the discarding of property rights, for starters. Offers a more equitable and decent option than capitalism. He believes that collectivism is a better option than capitalism. His entire career has never been propelled by policy, most of, most of them untenable here, but rather by class warfare, and younger voters are and have been more susceptible to the ethics of socialism. At this point in history, they've not seen the economic infeasibility of those ideas, many of the massive disasters spawned by them, or the coercion that's inevitably required to make them work. Either that, or they just don't care. Coming up at 10.10, we're going to talk about exactly that last part. We're going to talk to Jake Novak, who is an economist, who is going to put the blame where it belongs. For all of the front runner stat or for the front runner status that Bernie Sanders has obtained and all of the young people that have led to that. Remember, eighteen year olds can vote. That means Generation Z is now voting. And Gen Z, even more so than the millennials that came before them, are all over Bernie Sanders and his socialist ideas. So who has the blame for that? The answer, according to our guest who's coming on? You and me. Bernie Sanders is a popular frontrunner because of how we have raised our kids. Let's go to the phones. Um, Fred is in Cleveland. Fred, you are on AM 1420, The Answer. Thanks for your patience. Good, sir. Go right ahead. Hi, Bob. Good day to you. Um, What I think Hillary won the debate last night, she's probably licking her chops thinking that uh, the more chaos there is, she could swoop in during the, uh, you know, whatever, the Democrat thing that, uh, you know. Convention? The uh, the convention, I'm sorry. Um, But on another level, think about this. Let's say Michael Bloomberg catches fire, and all these Democrats, everyone loves him, and he wins. He wins South Carolina, he wins on Super Tuesday, and he continues to win after that. Do you think that these crazy people that support Bernie and support Buttigieg and support Warren, do you think they're just going to shut up and say, okay, let's all vote for Bloomberg. We can't have Trump. We got to do it. I think that that will never happen. And no matter who the nominee is, they are so split, it's going to be a landslide bigger than Ronald Reagan for Donald Trump. Um, It's too much. They're they're not going to coalesce behind someone. It's impossible. Uh, Well, that's kind of how I started the show, talking about that very challenge that they have. But I disagree with you on Bloomberg. I think if he somehow 
as you put it, catches fire or whatever and ends up winning the nomination, they will absolutely rally behind him. They will highlight successes for during his time at uh, as mayor of New York, the biggest international and, and diverse city and blah, blah, blah. And they will look past all of the things that they ripped him for during this debate. I think that would probably happen for Buttigieg as well and probably for a Klobuchar. The one that I don't think they would be able to coalesce behind and, and, and uh, put aside all of their criticism of is Bernie, because Bernie is the only one praising communism and, and, and in fact, touting it every day of his, his, his entire uh, public life. Um, I don't think they can go from, from you know, supporting capitalism, supporting free markets, supporting all of these things, and then say, I'm going to cast that aside because Bernie's our nominee. But they will. And the reason why? Uh, Fred, is because they always do. They even did it in the Republican side. With the exception of Kasich, all of those um, uh, candidates who ripped Trump up one side and down the other during the debate uh, process and the primary process, including Ted Cruz, who had really, really tense things with Trump, if you recall, because Trump said his, suggested that his father might have been a part of the uh, uh, assassination of, uh, of JFK and... Um, uh, you know, with Marco Rubio, the personal insults there. I mean, it, 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 it was nasty. And yet the, the vast majority, I think with the exception of Kasich and Jeb Bush, eventually when uh, Trump won the nomination, came around and supported him and, uh, and, and campaigned for him against Hillary Clinton. So primaries are notorious for bloodletting on the stage and that eventually they clean up the blood and say, okay, we forget all that and we are now behind our guy. Well, we'll see. I, I can't follow that at all. I, I think no matter who gets the nomination on the Democrat side, the rest of the people are going to go crazy. Well, There's I, no I, I, chance that the voters are going to all come together to win and beat Donald Trump. Well, the happen. voters, yeah. Now, the voters is a different story, friend. Thanks for the call, my friend. I, I can't speak for all voters, obviously, but I'm talking about the other candidates on the debate stage now, the others. They will come around for the eventual nominee because they always have. History is on my side of this argument. The only one who could upset that history, as I said a moment ago, is Sanders. I don't know that they could all publicly come around, at least, and convince voters that they're serious when they say, we support Bernie, when they are so so openly against Bernie because of the communist issue. Thank, uh, thanks for the call, my friend. We'll get more calls right after this. Nine fifty-five. Yesterday. I had a guest on my show who's a Cuban-American whose uh, family uh, defected from Cuba, escaped the island nation, and um, uh, his name is Eduardo Hernando. He is a uh, an entrepreneur and a real estate developer uh, living in Miami and working even here in Ohio. And anyway, I had uh, Eduardo on the program, and I wanted to talk specifically about what... Um, uh, what uh, uh, Cuba was really like under Castro, and it, particularly Bernie Sanders claims that one thing that made Castro great, despite all of the other things, was he brought literacy. He had a huge literacy program that he brought to the island with this communist revolution. Uh, and, and the suggestion, of course, is that um, Cuba and Cubans were illiterate prior to Castro's arrival, that they had some sort of horrific, poor educational system. And my, Fred, uh, my friend uh, Ed, whose family escaped from Cuba, 
they were there firsthand, said that is hogwash. They weren't killed, but there was many. This is documented of the thousands of people that were killed, shot in the streets just for, for being against what uh, Castro's regime wanted to implement. So this is very, very dangerous uh, conversation. And so when he talks about, oh, everybody was illiterate, that's also a farce. Cuba was an extremely prosperous country. People, it was actually like a Vegas. You know, people would would go in. All the all the celebrities would fly into Cuba, and I think that's also documented. So, this is knowledge and history that comes as a result of what was Cuba before and what was Cuba after. Anybody, anybody at any literacy level could see how prosperous Cuba was. The businesses, the hotels, the entire country was producing tons of exporting. You know, it, it was just an amazing country at the time. After Castro came in, all of that deteriorated and continued to deteriorate to where the country is today. So if people with firsthand knowledge, uh, his parents were there, his uncles were there, uh, they, uh, they escaped the island prison. Uh, just before he was born, and he was born in Miami, and uh, he know, and and then he has gone back to Cuba to visit relatives who are still stuck there, and uh, says that is ex- the exact honest to God's truth. What Bernie Sanders is saying about Castro bringing education to Cuba is a flat out lie. David and Lagrange is next. AM fourteen twenty. The answer. Hi, David. Go ahead. Hello. Uh, when you first played that clip, I thought you were playing a clip from The View. Which clip? Oh, the CBS screaming, the back and forth talking base, over yeah. each other? <laughs> yeah, it did sound kind of crazy, didn't it? Well, you know what? Whoopi Goldberg has more control over that hen, hen house, that cackle fight, than the uh, CBS moderators did last night. Sure. But um, my point, uh, what I want to comment about is, if Bernie Sanders makes it to November, and whoever the nominee is going to be, the Democrats, the media, they'll, they'll support him. They'll roll everything back. Of what they said, I don't think they're going to roll it back. They're just going to interpret it in a different way. They're going to sugarcoat it. I, I think they'll try to ignore it. I think they'll try to pretend it never happened. I do. I think they'll 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 unite behind their shared hatred for Trump in the same you know the enemy of my enemy is my friend mentality, and they'll try to ignore the communism. They'll try to ignore the praise of Castro. They'll just focus on everything that Trump has done as bad, and anything that we can come up with is better than what Trump has, even if. Uh, uh, you know, they, they have to agree to some sort of socialist model, if you will, worked into the capitalist framework of the American economy. That's what they'll try to do. Yeah, and I give credit to the media and the Democratic Party for Bernie Sanders' popularity. Their media, Democrats, have been preaching things such as income inequality, the rich need to pay their fair share, you know, free education. That's a great point, David. You're 100% right. They have been screaming that because the Democrat Party has been screaming that. The Democrat Congress has been screaming that. And what are the media but the, you know, just an arm of uh, the Democrat Party? They work hand in hand. They work, you know, hand in glove, if you will. Uh, so you're 100% right. That has led to Sanders' uh, popularity. And I'm glad you called about that, David. Thanks for the call because guess what? That is a part of what we are about to do. Uh, coming up right after the top of the hour news which is just seconds away. Uh, I'm going to talk with Jake Novak from CNBC. Uh, He is an editorial columnist. Uh, He has also worked on Fox Business, former executive producer of the Kudlow Report. Larry Kudlow, of course, now chief economic advisor to the president. Jake Novak, 
affixes the blame for Bernie Sanders' rise in popularity. And we're going to talk about that with him next. One of them will indeed be the media because of the reason you just said, but the other, um, the other target of the blame for Bernie Sanders' popularity, particularly young people, is on you and me. Jake Novak is going to blame parents for the way they raise their kids, and I think there's some merit to it. We'll let him explain that and take more of your calls right after. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. 